0: 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verses eight through sixteen. <coughs> Let's ask the Lord to teach us, and then we'll read His holy word. Father, I pray that uh, that the hearts of all who sang this morning would rather have Jesus. Father, that they are desperate for you. And that Father, their love for you is first and foremost in in their hearts and their minds. And Father, as we come now to look upon divine counsel. Father, in that love that you have given us. May it grow in our love for you through your word. To your counsel, to your comfort. And Father, as this church in Corinth struggle, as we this day struggle, Father, may we embrace and rejoice at the amazing things you are doing, at your faithfulness, and Father, at the hope that lies before your people. Father, may we each be instilled with a passion to redeem the time. To redeem the time for your glory. To redeem the time for your exaltation. To redeem the time for your kingdom. And Father, may we be as our brother Isaiah. Say, here we are. Send us. Use us. Pour us out as a drink offering. Father, let us cherish what you've done and with confidence and expectation of what you will do. To you, my King, in Christ, amen. Chapter 7, First Corinthians, verses 8 through 16. Let's read our context. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him he must not divorce her and the woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her he must not send her hus- she must not send her husband away for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the believing husband for otherwise your children are unclean and now they are holy. Yet, if an unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O oh wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O oh husband, whether you will save your wife? This is divine counsel. It starts in chapter 7, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul is basically answering some questions that the church in Corinth is struggling with. And chapter 7 deals with marriage. And in that institution, many things can happen. I can even look in our fellowship this day and know that in... Some cases in this fellowship, the husband and wife were not saved at their marriage. And during the process of God's working, both came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I know that in this fellowship, there are some who were married as unbelievers and one has come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I even know in this fellowship that there are one or some who have married unbelievers and were ignorant that that's not a good plan. Um, uh, I also know that there are those in this fellowship who are divorced. I know that there are some who live together, have become common law, and yet are now believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look just like Corinth, even as small as we are. And yet now we are exposed to the truth of God. Okay. Now we are responsible to what He has given us. Now we must bow before the authority of Scripture. If not, I'll deal with that at the conclusion of this message. In verses 8 and 9, he said if you're single or widowed, widow is uh, gender neutral, so it can be male or female. And he says, it is better to stay single. Why? It is not a sin to be single. The Jews in the church in Corinth would be pushing very hard for marriage. Why? They believed that if you were not married you were in direct disobedience to God. Why? He said, go forth and reproduce, procreate. And if you didn't do that, then you were in sin. you were in violation of the word of God. And yet there would be some pagans who would believe that it is better not to marry because then I can have this absolute devotion to God and I won't be entangled with things around me. But the Apostle Paul says, there are those that God gifts for singleness. And in the point of singleness, stay there. That's where you're at. Stay there. How many of you this day, I wonder, are seeking to change your place in society? I was just curious about that. And it just comes to a lot of stuff, the next context that I'm dealing with in chapter 17. But we all have it in our minds that I need to change something. I need to do something. None of things happen in our lives and we, we we have changes and they come at us. But how many people I wonder in this body today can say, I am absolutely content where I'm at and with what God's doing. Paul says to single people, you need to be absolutely content where you're at. Why? Anybody here ever sought the will of God? I did on Thursday, three years ago. (laughs) Okay, he didn't give me an answer, so I've kind of been on my own ever since. Right? I mean, if you're truly a child of God this day, you have a desire to do the will of God. What if the will of God is you to be single? Well, but that's not the will I want. Oh, have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Your will be done. Where? In heaven? Hurry? <laughs> is that how we pray that? uh uh-uh. How many times do we go before the Lord telling Him what our will is so He'll do it? Don't worry about it. Better have tried. <laughs> so, I mean, it's no big deal with me. Go ahead. I've done it. I've argued with him and everything. <laughs> so and I know that you, none of you would ever argue with him. Uh, talk about not winning. All right. But there are times that we are single. We are society push that now. You're at a certain age. You need to be, you know, I hear people. Uh, what is it? Uh, I will be uh, my uh, biological clock is running out. I bet Sarah thought that too. What do you think? I'm 90. I'm pregnant. And this ain't funny. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. I mean, really? Come on now. Are you guys, some of you? (sighs) you I can sleep with my eyes open. He thinks I'm awake. No, I know. I used to sleep with my eyes open. But uh, you need to grab a hold of this because wherever position you are, if you're married to an unbeliever today, guess what? That's God's will. Do you ever think about that? If you're married to a believer who's a pain, hmm, God's will. But rest in this: I will perfect in them that I have called them to. That's what the apostle Paul said, and so I rest in what Paul says. But we have a problem with singleness. We think that. It, but if you think about it, I see married people who wish they were single. I see single people who wish they were married. And God says, "I wish you would be happy with where I have you." And that's basically what he does in verses 8 and 9. But he gives to married people, Christians, two Christians who are married. Stay. Stay married. Not only that, take that marriage and fulfill it to the uttermost. Make that marriage look like the picture of God the Father, God the Son. Why? Because that's where I have you. I want a unity in that marriage that people will look at and say, it is only done supernaturally. I like that. Supernatural marriages. That's what God has called we who are married to unbelievers or to believers too. And He does it to unbelievers. That's this one that we looked at 12-14 through last week. I want to brief you back on that quote there. It says, I say, not the Lord. He's saying, I am not quoting the Lord verbatim, but we have already looked at that what Paul says is divine counsel. He says, if you have an unbeliever who consents to live with you, do it. Do not divorce. Why? We have a problem in our society today. We believe that if we are Christians stuck in a bunch of heathens in our homes, then we become heathens. And God says, you forgot what power you have. God says, no, your present sanctifies. Why? Your present makes it holy ground. And you should stay there for their benefits. If you are an unbeliever this day, married to a believer, you should have a great thankfulness in your soul that your spouse is saved because you receive divine blessings just because of that one individual. That's amazing. It says you hold to them. Unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the believing husband. For otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. holy. So when you look at the word sanctification, sanctified, what are you looking at? Holy. Holy. Amazing stuff, isn't it? Then verses 15 and 16, he deals with... Uh, those who haven't been covered. Have you ever thought about it? Well, when I kind of got to that verse, I just looked at it and I said, you know what, this would be the rest. Really? I mean, he's already covered it. If you're single, this is what you're supposed to do. If you're two Christians married, this is what you're supposed to do. If you're married to a, uh, uh, an amicable unbeliever, this is what you're supposed to do. There's only one group left. Only one group left. I've already dealt with the fact in verse 39 that... Uh, You don't marry an unbeliever. So that group's already sort of dealt with. I mean, a true Christian won't marry an unbeliever. Okay, why? Well, it's just nasty. Okay, and if not, I have some people in this fellowship that I will direct you to, and you can seek their counsel. Okay? And if that doesn't work, I'll just tell you that the Apostle Paul says you are only to marry in the Lord, and an unbeliever has no ability to do that whatsoever. Okay? So what's the other group? married to an unbeliever who is not real happy in this Christ stuff nor the fact that you're in this Christ stuff okay now this is interesting if you really think about it in the text of the first Corinthians because there were some schisms in the church wasn't there there were some strife, there were some divisiveness there were some arguments there were some quarreling going on they weren't of one mind of one judgment they weren't staying in unity why? Well, part of the problem was marriages. It was marriages. We have it in our mind today. Have you ever heard this one? What God has joined together, let no man separate. You ever heard that? Do you know what Bible verse that is? Huh? Does anybody know what text that comes out of? It's not in the Bible. Okay? But it sounds really cool, doesn't it? It's like, it should be scripture. (laughs) Okay, well, it might, should be, but God didn't think he would use it. (laughs) All right, and I'll go with the editor. And I want to share that with you because I've seen some things happen that's kind of weird, and I know that this is happening here. He says, yet, okay, yet, he's going to refer back to what I call a blended marriage. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves... Let him leave. I, have you ever seen um, a Christian married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever wasn't real happy about that Christ guy? Uh, an unbelieving partner who can't stand your relationship with Christ. I have seen that picture. I've also seen it when the believer makes the other person mad at Christ. That's not this text. That's not this text. Depending on your translation, it says, if the unbelieving one leaves, um, it may say depart. It may say divorce. Divorce. Okay, all three work. All right, because the word that is used is a technical word in the Greek for to divorce is to literally to separate it, to depart from one. It's a technical term. Okay, so if you have a believer and their unbelieving partner leaves, what do you do with what God has joined? Let no man separate. Well, first and foremost, I don't care what you do with it. (laughs) It's not in the Bible. Okay? Verse 39 says, Don't marry somebody unless you do what? In the Lord. Let me explain something to you. If you marry in the Lord, nobody can separate it. What can separate you from the love of God? All right, so when you use the phrase what God has joined together, let no man separate, I don't even have to use it. What God has joined together, what are you going to do about it? If I did not join in the Lord, then who can separate it? Anybody can separate it. And you know what? The issue isn't whether God's going to be mad at you. Why do we struggle with that? Why do we struggle with God hates divorce? You know what he hated first? Sin. Okay? And what is a product of sin? Divorce. The condemnation of a person is not how many times they've been married or divorced. The condemnation of a person is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I I really wish we could grasp that because natural man only can do what his nature is. But we get tied up in this stuff and I will deal with this. Here's what what I want. If if God has joined it together, how could men separate it? It's impossible to let them go. Not only is it impossible, hey, who's going to give them the gospel? I need to fight for this thing. What's Paul's counsel? Let them depart. Let them separate. Let them divorce. Let it happen. How could you ever do such a thing? How could you ever even say something like that? Well, if you don't like what I said, take it up with heaven. Because that's what it says in my Bible. Okay? If they divorce, okay? If they leave, Okay. What it says here: If the unbelieving one leaves, it is middle voice, reflective, right? In the original language, if the unbeliever takes themselves out, let them go. If the unbeliever says, this thing, this worship thing you got going with this guy who doesn't even exist anymore, that you tell me is dead and rose from the grave and gone on to heaven or something like that, and I don't like it, and I don't want no part of this, and this is a waste of time, it's a waste of money, it's a waste of resources, I'm out of here, what should your response be as a believer? That's difficult, isn't it? I know, some of you are thinking, don't let the door hit you on the way out. (laughs) Or you get very, very deep theological and say, thank God and Greyhound they're gone. Right? (laughs) Truth of the matter is, divorce is like a death in the family. And you never allow restoration of the heart because you have to keep seeing that person or you may have still have dealings with that person so to read this and to say let him leave there was a reason that you married I mean it may have been absolutely positively selfishness in your behalf but there was a reason that the two had come together and divorce tears at the fabric of the soul Whether it's a believer, an unbeliever, I don't care what the mix is. The unbeliever takes themselves out. Don't fight them. Let them go. Let them go. No, well, wait a minute. God hates divorce. I remember verse 11. If she does... If she does divorce, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to that dirtbag, unbeliever, pagan, worm. Okay, <laughs> right? I'm not sure about that. What? that that's that's a raw deal. I'm stuck. There was no adultery. They just said, "I'm out of here." If there's adultery, you know, in verse 15, if there's adultery, you know, we looked at that in in Matthew 18. If there's adultery, I'm free. (laughs) You're going to make me carry this around. Well, I want to show you something that's really kind of amazing, actually. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. You know, the thing that kind of struck me there right off the bat? You who are single, this is for you. Okay? The Apostle Paul said, if you are single, I would have you stay as me. Okay? Why? Do you know what the definition of marriage in Paul's vocabulary? Bondage. <laughs> he wrote it. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what he said. That, that was just the first thing that hit me. Is like, you get married, you are now bound. I just, just something I noticed. That's just kind of the way I think. He says, you are free. You're not in that bondage anymore. Let me give you the same word that he used. <laughs> so now we know why the Apostle Paul, <laughs> everybody thinks he was anti-marriage. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 7, speaking of a believer's identity being united with Christ and being free from the law, Okay, and and the effects of the law. In chapter seven, verse two, he says this, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. Same word. Same word. Okay. They are no longer, he says that if they leave, you are not bound. To them. You notice that? How many times have you ever heard? Um, well, probably more than I have. A lot of times people will come to me and ask, When can a Christian divorce? Okay? Which means basically, give me an excuse, give me a biblical reason. Um, uh, one is um, unrepentant adultery. Okay? You know what the other one is? Desertion. Desertion. You are free to marry if they leave. If the unbeliever departs, the brother or sister is not under the bondage of that marriage. Now then, I'll give you a different view on under the bondage of marriage and Paul's view of it. Married to an unbeliever is like being in bondage. Keep your context. If you're married to a saint of God, then you know what freedom and how wonderful it truly is, especially if you're striving to fulfill your marriage in the picture of the relationship that Jesus has with his Father. Marriage is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful creation of God the Father. If you are married to an unbeliever, marriage will feel like bondage. Okay, set you guys up for that one, didn't I? (laughs) Um, Desertion is like adultery in its effect. Did you understand that? If a person commits adultery in a marriage, they are deserting the vows, the covenant in which they entered into with that person. They're leaving it. God has made something very precious and holy, and in adultery, you desert that position. It breaks the bond that the marriage has. So does desertion. To leave, to take away, to divorce, to separate, to flee from. One of the benefits of being a Christian is to have a peaceful life. The reason he says let them go, God has called us to peace. To peace. Let me tell you something. Um... Peace with God gives you the peace of God. All right? And where is that seen greatest? In the home. In the home. Why? If God has poured His blessing into that home, then His peace is there, therefore you live at peace. Let's be realistic. I am forty-seven years old. I have not known a time on the planet Earth where there has been peace. I've never seen it. Okay, and I don't. I don't have to go. <laughs> I'm not talking about outside of my community. I'm not talking about well, you know, the Arabs and the Israelis and that. that's all I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are willing to drive by and shoot somebody just for the sake of doing something. I'm talking about domestic violence. I'm talking about assaulting our children. I'm talking about uh, spousal abuse. I'm talking about child abuse. I'm talking about robbery. I'm talking about murder. I'm talking about raping, stealing. None of those are peaceful. And in my life, I have not known peace on this planet. I have not known peace in my community. I have not known peace in the states that I have lived. I have not known peace. And yet, my relationship in my family is that of the peace of God. If you have peace with God, He gives you the peace of God. There is nothing God needs less. Okay, hear what I say? There is nothing God needs less than constant fighting, tension, frustration, turmoil in the home. I have seen people who actually believe they're going to keep a hold of their spouse as an evangelistic project. Okay? And yet their home is tense. Their home is frustrated. Their home is always in turmoil. And I keep thinking... See, yeah, right. <laughs> Who's going to save saved here? Okay, fighting, angry, quarreling home is not God's plan. Why? If the unbeliever is willing to stay, then what happens in the home? The sanctification is there. If the unbeliever is not willing to stay, what happens? Frustration, tension. Listen, This angry, fitful, quarreling home is not God's plan, nor is marriage primarily a foundation for evangelism. That's not God's plan either. Now, we pray. We have uh, several in this fellowship who have unbelieving spouses, and we pray. We pray at least every Friday for the salvation of those spouses. We pray more than that, some of us. Why? Why? I like to watch God save people. It's kind of fun. And I've seen some people who will say, I'll hang in there until they get saved. And I've seen some who were hung in there until nobody got saved. Truth of the matter is, if you have an unbeliever who does not like the things of Christ and you're trying to get them saved, the only thing you will do is drive them away guarantee it. Why? There is still but one Savior and you ain't him. So the Apostle Paul says, if they want to leave, let them leave and you are not under bondage in such cases. Why? God has called us to peace. If they want to go, let them leave. But I give you a warning now. Hear me well. Let them leave rejecting Jesus Christ, not hating you. Okay? Let them leave rejecting Jesus Christ, not hating you. That's key. I have known in some situations where the spouse made it so miserable that if I would have been the unbeliever, I wouldn't have lasted as long as they did. And part of the reason, I know a case right now that I was thinking of where the believer literally drove her husband to adultery. And therefore, by him committing adultery, she was free to divorce. Nice gig, huh? Who will face a greater condemnation before the king? Okay, we've already looked at the text that says your body is not your own. And if you want to look at it in Paul's perspective, you are in bondage. (laughs) If I let them go, I'll lose the opportunity to see them saved. If I let them go, who will bring them to Christ? Verse 16. Or how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? How do you know? Let me tell you something. If you're in a house that's full of tension and quarreling and bickering, you don't have to worry about it. That is not an evangelistic tool that the Lord has ever used. Let them go because you have no guarantee that you will bring them to salvation. Not only that, you will destroy the peace that God gives. So now you'll find yourself, if, you fight, if you're trying to destroy the peace of God, now who are you fighting against? Don't tell me you're an unbelieving spouse. One thing God has never really needed is this tension in between people to bring people to salvation. I remember one time a a young man and his his um, they were uh, sort of like tent companions, and he felt the calling of the Lord, and as she she didn't, and uh, boy didn't she. Uh, and he, he just felt like the Lord and he was, I, it would almost seem that God was drawing him to salvation. And I had a chance to minister to him and, and they would come to church occasionally and it was like the, every time she came, she just got madder. Uh, and, and I could literally watch the tension building in the relationship between the two. Uh, and they kept wanting to ask me because she kept trying to fight me on their relationship that, you know, um, they weren't married. They hadn't taken any vows and they just, you know, they were doing it their way. And, uh, and I kept telling them that that's not the issue. Okay. The issue is your eternity. And that, of course, that, if somebody's trying to pick a fight with it and you're not willing to fight with them, uh, guess what? You're just going to make them matter. <laughs> so anyway, I was just thankful that he was marrying her and I wasn't. And, uh, eventually it exploded and they never came back again. She got furious. I mean, furious. One one afternoon after church, after time of service uh, of worship, she uh, he came up and wanted. And had tears in his eyes and was thrilled and and was just amazed at the word of God. And she came up to me and did one of these things. You know those? Okay, those are always a bad sign. That's like somebody saying, "I want you to know, first of all, I love you." Okay, when they come doing this. They don't even care whether you believe or you love them. <laughs> so, it's just, all right. Uh, and uh, she told me that it was that pious attitude of the patriarchs that have oppressed women and put them in their place. And the whole destruction of the planet earth is based solely on my proclamation of the word of God. And I said, Bubba, you ain't not getting saved today, are you? <laughs> and, uh, She uh, was furious and um, she says, that book that you claim is so inerrant, she says, it is so full of contradictions. And I just smiled and I said, I tell you what, you read it, show me the contradictions and I'll throw mine away and I'll deny my Lord and my Savior. Have at it. Haven't seen them since. Perhaps they got saved. It wasn't that day. <laughs> this hostile anger is not where God saves people. And if you believe that you can be married to an unbeliever and they're kind of hostile to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and you believe that you can just antagonize that and play with it, and that's God's work and you understand this. Um, I have the peace of God. You should have the peace of God. Uh, And I know that the Lord can do without that turmoil in the home. Marriage is not a a primary instrument of evangelism. Um, And I'll be honest with you, very often the marriages don't seem to last. Okay, Uh, there has been some cases, but the majority is is that married to an unbeliever, uh, it ends up broken. If you're holding on to a marriage solely for the reason of evangelism, all you're going to do is lead to tension. Uh, Anger, anxiety, quarreling. Why? It is still God who saves. I mean, you can't have that unbelieving husband slide tracks under his pillow at night or put him in his lunchbox or to the wife or things like that. It ain't going to happen, and I guarantee at some point in time they will get very ticked off. And you also have to understand who created the Institute of Marriage. Remember the six reasons to get married? Yes. You're supposed to say yes. And one of them was the picture. Do you believe in a hostile environment of a man and woman fighting and quarreling over who Christ is and you won't get saved and if you just surrender our house, will be better. And da, 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 That uh, that is a picture of Jesus and God the Father? Nah. So Paul answers some tough stuff here, right? If you're single, he says, you know, that's good. Use the gift. Use the gift, redeem the time, he told the church in Ephesus. He said, if you're married to a Christian, stay with them and fulfill that marriage as that picture. Make it the limits that God has set it out. If you're married to an unbeliever, And that unbeliever wants to stay. Stay and let that grace their lives and any children that may come from that union. And if you're married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever wishes to go, let them. Because God has called us to peace. Who will witness to them? God will take care of that. Whatever God has given you, as your marital status accept that as his will i will add something else whatever your marital status accept it as his will but maximize it for his glory we have, we sing that song Have thine own way, Lord. We like that song, as long as everybody else is doing what God has said. Have thine own way. How about have thine own will, Lord? I just got done reading a a sermon by Jonathan Edwards. God's sovereignty and the salvation of man. That boy sat around and thought a lot. I could tell. But one of the things that is amazing about his text was he made this statement, His will is purposeful and His will is fruitful. If I step out of His will, what happens? Where's your fruit? You know what the first one that I see disappear is? One is love and out of that comes peace. The person who is not in the will of God is not at peace. If I am single this day and you are not at peace, what's the problem? If you are married to a Christian today and you are a Christian and you are not at peace, what's the problem? If you are married to an unbeliever, this day and the unbeliever chooses to stay with you is content to be with you and you're not at peace. What's the problem? Why? Because his will is purposeful. Whatever your position is right now, God's will is purposeful in your life. He's doing something right now exactly where you're at. Not only that, you are bearing fruit. It may be an old nasty raisin, but you're bearing one. All right. All right. When I teach the Word of God, I am assured that the Spirit of God picks up that Word and carries it to your heart and He plants it. You know what I like about that? It doesn't qualify whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. He plants it. It may be as a great seed of joy that bears much fruit and flowers and to the the awesome fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, or it may be a dagger of God's wrath. You know what, maybe in response to this message, I was thinking about this, and I was kind of jotting this down as, as I prepared for the message this morning to, to come out here. What is God's will? What is God's will? I look at the group that is here today, and I, I wonder if there are some who are unbelievers who need to get in. I wonder if there's some in this room right now who are believers but God does not dominate their life. And you know how I spot it quickest? There is no peace. There is no peace. I want to look at another text just for a second. Yo, dude, it's before noon. I have got a whole hour yet. You don't have to go there. I just, I'll just give this to you as uh, food for thought. The second letter to this church that we have as Holy Scripture in the 11th chapter, beginning in verse 2, says... Now, you understand who this church is, right? This is the church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul labored there for about 18 months. Um, very difficult people. Um, and we've looked at some of that problems already. Not only that, by the writing of this letter... He had returned to the church in Corinth and a group of people stood up and brought accusations against the Apostle Paul that said that he was teaching the message of grace for sexual favors. Okay? In the middle of the church, they stood up and said that he's doing it for sexual favors. You know what was heartbreaking about it? No one in that body of believers stood up to defend the Apostle Paul. Paul. I mean, it's one thing to be accused, but people that you've poured yourself into sit there and say, whoa, what if he is? Um, And you know what's cool? I don't have a record of Paul praying for Sodom and Gomorrah event. (laughs) Anyway, here's what he says. This is the same group of people now. Now this event that I just shared with you has already happened. Look what he says. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ... I might present you as a pure virgin. That's some serious stuff right there now. That's the passion of a pastor. I have a jealousy for this group of people because I have betrothed this group of people to one husband. so that to Christ i might present you as a pure virgin that's a pastor right there buddy that you just you just don't get purer than that but look what verse 3 says but i am afraid that as the serpent deceived eve by his craftiness your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Interesting thought, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, looking at this group of people in Corinth, poured his heart into them, poured his soul into them, he poured his time into them. And he spoke on the authority of God the Father. And yet, their response to him was they wanted to do it their own way. You know, today you can go see the ruins of the city of Corinth. How many in this body of believers say, God, have my own, have your own way, dominate my life, that you would bear much fruit in me because my pastor has betrothed me to but one husband. Chapter 13, verse 5 says this. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. That in the original language, examine yourself, that phrase, um, it should have an exclamation point because it becomes emphatic and it's a command. And it would be as if the Apostle Paul um, is yelling. I guess is my best way to describe it. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. You know what's amazing about that text right there? You know what hits me about that is just right in, I guess, the proverbial, the spiritual solar plexus. He's not writing this to a bunch of lost people. He's writing this to the church of Corinth. And he says at this point in time, this would actually be his fourth letter at this point in time, have you forgotten that Christ is in you? If you have, perhaps you have failed the test. That's powerful stuff. Apostle Paul has shared with you who have gathered here for these last four messages, if you are single, single, stay there rejoice, and use that gift to His. It's charisma. It's the same thing. We're going to look at it in chapter 12. What is spiritual giftedness? Charisma. You have a gift that God has given you. If you're married to a Christian, fulfill that thing to the fullest so that it is a picture and everyone will say the unity that that man and that woman has looks exactly like the unity of God the Father, God the Son if you are married to an unbeliever and they choose to say, rejoice and be glad for God has blessed that home and you now have the power who holds existence into being and who will judge all. And he is pouring his blessings on that house, on those children, on that spouse. If you are married to an unbeliever who chooses not to stay, then you allow them to go. Because God has called you to live at peace. And then understand this. You. Have been betrothed. To one husband. Now. But. Each of you. Should examine yourselves. To see. If you are of the faith. Okay, because a said faith is a dead faith. God did not save you for your convenience. God saved you for his purpose. A Christian will bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for counsel from, from above. I praise you for my brother, Paul. Father, I praise you for what you've shown my heart to him. My Savior, I come now to present these people to you. Father, I pray that they will be followers of our Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that each of them will bear much fruit beyond what they could ever think or imagine. Father, I pray that you give me the strength and the heart, Lord. I'll have a passion to present each of them as a pure virgin unto their rightful husband. Father, search our hearts. Father, if we have an offense against ye, take it now. Father, we may be vessels of honor. Father, we would build with gold, silver, and precious stone. And that, Father, nothing but the exaltations and the praises of our Savior and Lord would be on our lips until our faith becomes sight. To you, my King, in Christ. Amen.